The untimely death of Wangari Maathai in late September this year came as a shock not just to those in Kenya, but throughout the world. Although her family, friends and colleagues had known that she was unwell, her tenacious ability to withstand adversity and opposition had allowed them to believe that she would be battling for much longer against the disease that killed her so tragically. In the latest edition of New Agriculturist, we wanted to pay tribute to Wangari Matai, and so we asked someone who'd worked closely with her to give her perspective on Wangari's achievements. Francesca de Gasparis is the Europe director of Wangari Matai's Green Belt movement, and she spoke over Skype to Susanna Thorpe, so apologies for the sound quality, but I hope you'll agree that Wangari's message passed on through Francesca is worth hearing. Well, we very recently, earlier this year, decided to focus on the watershed approach, and it's looking at particular highland areas which are being denuded of forest, and that forest is so precious because it really is the route where the streams flow from, where the springs come from, mm-hmm. and where you see a lot of sort of climate buffering happening. You know, the, the forests mm-hmm. up there create the rain. They also retain the soil and stop soil erosion. So that system, that part of the ecosystem we see as being really critical. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the message of the Green Belt Movement and Wangari needs to be heard more. So I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of international work that needs to be done We've just launched in her memory a campaign called I Am the Hummingbird. There's a wonderful story that she used to tell. She was a great storyteller called The Hummingbird. And it was about this little bird that was in a forest fire. And um, then there were lots of big animals around, lions and elephants with big trunks. And they were doing nothing but watching the forest burn down. And so this little bird, the hummingbird, would collect a little drop of water in its beak and then go to the fire and drop the little tiny drop of water on the fire and it would go back and forth and back and forth and all the other animals were sort of you know telling it it was you know being silly and why waste its energy you know just stay safe on the side here with us blah 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 Mm. and then eventually the hummingbird stopped and said I'm doing the best I can and that was Wangari's message to us all we must all do the best we can so we've launched a hummingbird campaign which is basically tree planting all over the world and people just to plant trees and think of Wangari and think about her message and then we have a map on our website where people can go and mark their tree or their 71 trees, which is how many years she lived, or, or their millions of trees, whatever they wish to do. So that's, that's a nice practical action. And she was always a tree planter, so we feel that's really fitting in her memory. Francesca de Gasparis, Europe Director of the Green Belt Movement, sharing something of Wangari Matai's vision through that wonderful story of the hummingbird and the power of both individuals who take responsibility for their actions and what groups can achieve when those individuals unite also features prominently in another story in the latest edition of New Agriculturist. It's the story of rinderpest eradication and we're going to hear now from two people who were very involved in that process. Michael Barron is an expert on rinderpest with the World Animal Health Organisation, the OIE, And John Anderson, now retired, was the head of FAO's Rinderpest World Reference Laboratory at the Institute of Animal Health in the UK. They reflect on just how dangerous a disease Rinderpest was and what made its eradication possible. There has never been such an important and devastating disease as Rinderpest in livestock. We've known about it and its problems for a thousand years 
and we've got rid of it. The eradication of rinderpest is probably saving about a billion pounds a year, but the real impact is on the livestock industry and the livelihood of the farmers. What we have to look at is the science behind this achievement, and I think there are two kinds of science that really made this achievement possible. The first being the vaccines that would actually prevent this disease from spreading. And the second was true international collaboration between many bodies in different countries who agreed on a pathway by which we would document the eradication of this disease, which means that we could know it was a truly collaborative effort. I think one of the most important aspects was the development of appropriate technology. And one of the biggest problems in an eradication campaign is the delay between actually getting a sample and the diagnosis, getting the sample from the field to the laboratory, in which time the disease is still progressing and spreading. And this is why we decided to opt for a Pennside diagnostic test. It's very similar to the uh, pregnancy test, the Clearview technology, and a simple eye swab which is squeezed into the sample window gives you in five minutes, it'll give you a, a blue band if it's positive or it'll, be, it'll remain clear. So it empowered field veterinarians to be able to report disease without being criticised and without people uh, not really believing what they were saying. And that technology then spread throughout uh, Africa. And the knowledge we acquired during that uh, research has enabled us to develop new vaccines which we are now applying for the next animal disease that we need to tackle, which is probably Pestibiti ruminol. And using the same tools, the same strategies, and really the networks that we've already managed to set up, it should be possible to eradicate Pestipiti ruminol from the world also. Michael Barron and John Anderson, reflecting on how both advanced science and a high degree of coordination enabled rinderpest to be eradicated. That kind of approach can seem a long way from what may be possible to the individual livestock keeper. But a final story in the latest edition of New Agriculturist I'd like to highlight shows what individuals can achieve using local and low-cost resources. Samuel Koputa is a centre manager for the Kenya Institute of Organic Farming and he spoke recently to Geoffrey Onditi about a herbal concoction that can protect livestock against ticks. So what can farmers do to make their own natural tick protection? You'd use the leaves get about a kilo of tephrosia leaves, put a liter of water, boil it, and uh, then after getting the preparations of the concussions, you mix it into the ratio of one is to two. So if it is a cup, get a cup of your concussion and then two cups of water. When you mix the two, you get the proper dosage on uh, what you should apply to your animal. Now, which methods are you using to teach the farmers that this plant can help them in controlling ticks? We are very, very, very practical when it comes to teaching our farmers. Mm. We apply tephrosia on the animal, and then uh, after a week, we normally call the farmers again to see the results on what tephrosia can do. We are also providing farmers with the same so that they can be able to go and uh, use in their mm. farms for further, you know, experiment. When you use uh, conventional pesticides, you spray your animals, for example, after every one or two weeks. Now, when you use this tephrosia mixture, how often do you spray your cows 
or your goats or your livestock generally? When you are using tephrosia, you are supposed to spray weekly at an interval of one week. Now, how effective is this tephrosia? Tephrosia is very, very effective in uh, controlling the ticks in the sense that this has been trained and uh, it works very well. And because the frost here is common everywhere, and you can get it in a very cheap way, the frost here will be able to be a good alternative for the local farmers. Samuel Koputa of the Kenya Institute of Organic Farming talking to Geoffrey Onditi. I hope you've enjoyed hearing some of the voices behind the stories in the latest edition of New Agriculturist and perhaps just had a bit of inspiration from what can be achieved by committed individuals who work together. But for now, from me, Mike Davison, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.